What's up everyone and welcome to the weekly edition of ESG Now where we cover how the environment, our society and corporate governance affects and are affected by our economy. I'm your host Mike DiCibato and this week we have two stories for you. The first we discuss how dependent the West is on Russian natural gas and the second is about the proliferation of online gambling in the US. Thanks as always for joining us. Stay tuned. The beginnings of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine lie relatively far back in time, and the sounds the current conflict are making have echoes of a long and complicated past involving Russia and Western Europe. As tensions continue to rise and threats of invasion by Russia loom, what further complicates it for the West is the EU's reliance on Russian natural gas. How reliant, you wonder? I say this without hyperbole astoundingly reliant. Russia accounts for between 38 and 41 percent of gas that Europe consumes, so uh, it's a big chunk. But even within that range, um, within the EU, some countries are much more reliant on Russian natural gas, and that's the likes of Finland, but mostly countries in southeastern Europe like Bulgaria and Slovakia. So they import between 70 to 95 percent of all the gas that they use from Russia. That was Elshin Mamadov, my colleague who covers the natural gas industry for us. You might remember listening to him a couple weeks ago when we had him on the pod to discuss the implications of the EU labeling natural gas as a sustainable transition fuel in its Green Bible, the EU taxonomy. Well, now we're looking at where that natural gas is going to come from that Europe will use as a sustainable transition fuel, and it's coming from Russian companies and Russian natural gas fields. Uh, But even the likes of Germany and Poland and Italy, they import between 40 and 50 percent of Russian gas goes towards their domestic consumption, you know, and and those countries don't really produce much gas uh, on on their own. Um, The biggest producers are the likes of Netherlands, where the domestic production is actually dwindling because of the earthquakes in Groningen field, among other uh, reasons and uh, the only other supplier to Europe that uh, is friendly and nearby is um, Norway, uh, which is a big supplier. But uh, there we don't see a huge uh, increase in production in the coming years. So the, <laughs> if things continue as they are, Europe's reliance on natural gas from Russia will probably uh, be around 40% or so and could actually increase over time. So hypothetically, Russia stops sending gas to Europe. What do utilities do then? The biggest thing that the utilities can do is import more LNG, liquefied natural gas, from places like US and Qatar, you know. But then they will be competing with the likes of China and and, and Japan and Korea and even Brazil, who are also importers of of LNG. So if Putin tomorrow shuts the pipes, unfortunately, the best thing you can do is shut immediately uh, all the gas-fired power plants in Europe, burn much more coal and consume less gas. So that some of the industries will have to shut down, not to use any gas, and you'll have you might have to ration it to households. You know, there might not be enough gas to go around. So it's pretty dire. Uh, situation if that happens. Basically, in total, the 27 countries that make up the EU produce only 9% of the natural gas they use. And it's not easy to scale that number up quickly because most of the major gas fields in Europe are running at capacity. 
Now, the reason this is an important story for the ESG realm is twofold. First, according to our data, a lot of European utilities have significant carbon reduction targets that rely, sometimes and partly, on natural gas as a transition fuel. And secondly, it is what happens to a power utility that doesn't have natural gas to burn to make its energy. Where does it go then? Well, it gets dirty. It goes to coal. And listen to what Elshin said when I told him that the situation seems like one of those cruel environmental ironies in that Russian gas is sort of helping the EU go green. <laughs> it is. Uh, so uh, basically, Russian gas is helping Germany uh, uh, pivot away from coal. Um, there's a lot of coal that is planned to shut down in Germany. And uh, Russia is the biggest uh, supplier to the country. Yes, Germany is thinking about building liquefied natural gas import terminals, but the capacity there is not huge. So yeah, uh, Russian gas is trying to clean up uh, the power mix for Germany, but also many countries in Eastern Europe and Central Europe. Um, uh, on the flip side, if the current uh, uncertainty persists, perhaps it will push politicians to accelerate the shift towards renewable energy in the long term, because that way you're not dependent on Russia and, and other gas exporting nations for, for your fuel, at least not to the same degree as they are now. So uh, in a way, it could accelerate the green transition. There is historical precedent for that. Not green historical precedents, but historical precedents nonetheless. The disastrous foreign policy decisions that the U.S. government pursued in the Middle East in the early aughts meant that the U.S. government had to find out how to make their energy system more independent. So came the shale gas boom. Now, that's in addition to new technology that allowed companies to get the gas easier. But still, that change seems analogous to the new technology that could allow companies to scale up renewable energy production. So might this conflict prompt European nations like Germany to push for even more investment in energy independence as the troubled wars in Afghanistan and Iraq did for the U.S.? And what could happen to investors in European gas utilities if Russia invades and NATO aggressively sanctions the Russian energy sector? These are sort of questions only time can answer, but I'm going to propose them to you anyway. There were two winners of the National Football League Super Bowl last Sunday, the Los Angeles Rams and online gambling. Gambling is having a technological renaissance of sorts due to online sports betting. Traditional casinos like MGM Resorts, Wynn Resorts, and Penn National all have their own apps, as well as purely online companies like DraftKings and FanDuel. What is interesting about all this is that professional sports have decided to embrace online gambling. And that's a marked turn from the past where gambling scandals and the possibility of fans losing confidence in the integrity of the game meant leagues would go out of their way to ensure their sports were not linked to gambling at all. But now announcers are talking about online gambling platforms as though they once did hot dogs and hamburgers. That uneasy marriage made me think about how investors are reacting to this growth in online gambling. You may not know this, but early ESG investing was hinged around value propositions. Unions would screen out companies from their pensions that didn't use union labor, or religious organizations would screen out sin stocks of their endowments. Sin stocks, by the way, are shares in companies involved in activities that are considered unethical, like tobacco, alcohol, porn, weapons, and of course, gambling. 
I should note that since stocks are just this kind of evangelical almost term of art that's stuck in the market, we are not God-fearing here at ESG Now. We just fear systemic risks. Anyway, I thought maybe online betting had changed the market idea of gambling as it has changed the sporting community idea of gambling. And we could call this segment, Has Technology Made an Act Safer or Is It Still Suspect? Catchy title, I know. To answer that question, I called up my colleague SK Kim, who covers the casinos and gambling industry, and she said, as it pertains to the key ESG risks that these companies face, gambling is still very suspect. I'm really hesitant to say there are leading online gambling companies because, you know, especially during the times when, you know, pandemic hit, right? And everybody was just had nothing to do but mobile phones. On their, in their hands. And, you know, the, the high penetration rate of mobile phones, that kind of, you know, exacerbating circumstances where gambling problems could become more of a social problems. So even if the companies do have, say, leading practices, um, meaning up-to-date technology where the companies can actually detect the pattern of problem gamblers and they apply, you know, time spent, you know, money spending limits or cooling off limits, etc. But that doesn't really mean that those companies could be called leading versus others because casinos or gambling in general, they, the most of the, the, the majority of the revenue actually comes from a small portion of customers where they spend a lot of money. It's not like mass gamblers, you know, like myself or you, who are just putting like $10 and, you know, you have a sufficient control over yourself. But there are really like less than 1% of the customers that are very problematic. So even though there was a record-setting number of bets placed on these apps over the weekend, the majority of these companies' revenue still comes from a small, extremely dedicated user base. A dedicated user base in the same way a smoker is a dedicated user of tobacco. The companies have tried to put a band-aid on this by ensuring their apps send out alerts to users that show the hours they have been online and the money they have won or lost in all their bets. But like with traditional casinos, this situation might mean online betting companies are going to face regulatory and reputational risks tied to addictive gambling. Yet there's one sort of competitive benefit and I guess increased risk that online gambling has in that its addictive customers can use the product from the seclusion of their homes. It's basically easier for these individuals to hide. Although those companies need to have so-called know your customer um, mechanisms, so they have to identify who the customer is. Um, but with even with that, it's not perfect, and it's not going to be as it's not going to be as easy as what the physical casinos operators could actually do to kind of stop problem gamblers because um, you don't really have to be in, you don't have to be there in person. So that's that's a big that's that's the biggest difference. Okay, so last thing, what about money laundering? Casinos are great places to launder money. You just take in your illicit cash and exchange it for chips, play a couple games, and then cash out and claim the money as gambling winnings. To prevent this from happening, casinos must comply with, uh, especially in the U.S., with the Bank Secrecy Act. And governments elsewhere are trying to crack down on the practice. 
they're doing things like preventing people from spending too much money in their casinos like China did in 2014. But the act of laundering still regularly happens. What about online gambling? Is it more or less challenging to prevent money laundering from happening via online betting? Probably more challenging because the trend, the ways, the avenue for transaction um, could be, you know, credit cards. It could be cryptocurrency. So those, you know, new ways of paying, uh, new ways of currency, for example, then, I mean, if I, if I could put it that way, it's going to be a kind of risk that online gamblers are facing. The growth in online gambling seems to have the makings of a reputational and regulatory firestorm. And we can see that firestorm already building in a region that has had online gambling for a lot longer than the U.S. Europe has had online gambling for some time, and one of its regional hubs is starting to show what can happen when vast sums of money are moved around without proper regulation. Malta has emerged as the undisputed capital of online gambling in Europe after the archipelago offered a slew of agreeable tax rules and obliging regulators. You can think of what Ireland did for the tech industry after it gave it a lot of tax breaks. Malta houses a lot of the online gambling industry's headquarters as well. That's another similarity it has to Ireland. But now Malta is the target of an international money laundering crackdown after the Financial Action Task Force said it can't be confident that basic financial safeguards are in place, which means regulators might step in to ensure the island's gambling industry doesn't fail. In the U.S., as the industry continues to grow and the novelty wears off, the real risk to watch out for is if online sports betting will have its tobacco moment when consumer lawsuits and investigations show that there are more people hooked on gambling than ever before and it's causing serious harm. As tobacco had a problem with proliferation, so too it seems the online gambling industry might be dealing with a similar problem. Irrespective of all that, though, and going back to the question that we posed at the beginning of this story, it seems that the industry remains where it has always been, a pleasure one is willing to sin for. And that's it for the week. I want to thank Elshin and SK for joining me to discuss the news with the Nishi Twist. I want to thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. If you like what you heard, don't forget to rate and review us. That always helps. And if you want to have a new episode in your podcast box every week, subscribe and it'll be sent to you. Thanks as always and talk to you soon. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc. subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research, LLC, a registered investment advisor, and the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to, nor received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or promotional recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. 
Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.